Hello and welcome to The Five Things. It's This Week in Social. We're your friends from Gray, here to help you understand everything going on in social. Regardless of if it's a Bones Day or a No Bones Day, we've got you. (laughs) This week we're going to have fun. Uh, It is a party pod. The whole gang is here. Amanda's here. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Joey. And friends. (laughs) Juliana's here. Hi, Juliana. Happy No Bones Day, Joey. (laughs) And Tommy's here, too. Always happy to be Amanda's friend. (laughs) We're all happy to be Amanda's friend. Uh, All right, let's get into the five things. First up, uh, Amanda has Facebook, who plans to rebrand the company with a new name and focus on the metaverse. Uh, Then Juliana will talk to us about Twitter launching a three-month Spaces Accelerator program. Uh, then Tommy will discuss Instagram's collab features. Juliana will go from one audio platform to the other with Clubhouse, who launched a new music mode. And finally, Amanda will tell us how Roblox is growing up. They grow up so fast. Um, all right, let's get into it. Amanda, talk to us about the big story, Facebook rebrand. What's going on? The big story is that there is a rumor that on Facebook's um, annual conference on October 28th, which at the time of this recording is about a week away, that they will be unveiling a new name. And it's intended to signal this growth into being a metaverse company versus what we would consider just just a social media company, which in its own right is a large piece of their business. Um, but knowing that they oversee, you know, WhatsApp, Oculus, Facebook, and have also made comments about creating what they consider to be the future of a metaverse, it's not too surprising. It's similar to when we saw Google announce um, the launch of Alphabet or Snap um, Chat becoming Snap Inc., which they consider to be more of a camera company, an AR company. So it has a lot of people talking. Um, there has been recent tweaks to their unreleased VR app, which is now called Horizon Worlds. It previously was called Horizon Workrooms. Um, And they've also made a lot of announcements about the employees that they've added to their roster, building AR hardware, uh, a metaverse, you know, executive, things like that. So has a lot of people talking. Uh, It's an interesting update. Not too surprising. I think the other elephant in the room is that they likely will be, or we can presume that they may likely be discussing with the SEC how to, you know, manage their company in a way that feels like it's not a monopoly into the social media space and they're doing things in separate workflows. So all of these pieces together, this announcement doesn't seem too unexpected, uh, but it's, it's interesting to note. And it also makes it very serious how invested they are in the metaverse. Um, Amanda, with Facebook owning the metaverse, do you think that will drive people to it or keep people away from it? So that's the issue with the metaverse. Um, One of the issues with the metaverse is that people likely will adopt use of something that's a new platform that feels like it's encompassing their life when it's not run by a corporation that they do not trust. Um, So there's a lot of companies making what we would consider to be metaverse platforms or technology this also makes sense that they are releasing that as Horizons and as, I wouldn't be surprised if their new name is Horizons, but we don't know yet. That's just my guess. Put it on the record. Um, and I think, Joey, what you're getting at is 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 very true. Like People might not want to use a Facebook metaverse, but would they be open to using a Horizon or other named metaverse 
perhaps, if they trust it, if they do the job of trying to create uh, that connection with the consumer. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, what do you think the new name will be? <laughs> I think the new name will be... Hmm. I think the new name will be... <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I'm trying to ideate. I was put on the spot. I think the new name will be something... Um, you know, Met Incorporated, Zuck Incorporated. I think that they will do whatever it... No, I think those are the opposite. They're going to get away from the Facebook of it all in any way they can because public trust of Facebook is dropping rapidly or uh, I guess, yeah, trust is dropping rapidly. And so I wonder how successful this will be in, you know, as you said, Amanda, removing Facebook from their metaverse goal and making it a new company because... You can cover it up in a flashy costume in a fun new name like Horizons, possibly, or Seth Incorporated. But I think that, I mean, we still refer to Google as Google. We still, we don't really consider the alphabet when you talk about Google as a corporation, not just a search engine. So I'm interested to see, will this new name and rebrand actually have the desired growth and desired perception that the company wants it to actually have? to undergo this bold of a, a, a rebrand from Facebook is big. Like it's big news. So I'm wondering if it actually will, you know, see the desired results they're going for. I mean, I think one thing that's kind of you know interesting about this is as we see sort of like rapidly accelerating a uh, way that technology and sort of social media has managed to advance, like just in the past couple of years, let alone from what the 2007 or so when Facebook started, I'm very interested in what it's going to look like for the variety of companies that are kind of these grandfathered in, uh, relatively speaking, spaces that people kind of just associate with, I guess, the more old world of social media and technology, trying to lean into these new, more future facing spaces. And if it is going to take these like large shifts in order to shake up like what you once knew about us to showcase that we're actually diving in headfirst into these more interesting and experimental zones because like you're saying the idea of even the conversation of a facebook rebranding and you know shedding themselves in any way of the equity that, that name has for the purposes of adapting to this like new way of perhaps interacting i think that just says a lot about the impact of the metaverse and the perhaps belief that the company has in it but also the realization that if you want people to adopt something that is so kind of high tech maybe they won't do it if they think it's going to be coming from like you know effectively like myspace right absolutely absolutely i yeah i think everything all the timing of this um makes complete sense i'm sure zuckerberg wished that trust wasn't as low as it is but you know that's the reality we live in and as we head into the metaverse all right juliana let's jump into twitter uh so they're launching an accelerator program for spaces why don't you tell us about it yeah, every every time we talk about a social media uh, platform that has a new creator fund or accelerator program, I really hope that there's someone who's listening to the five things who's just constantly involved in all of them and just makes their yearly paycheck through being involved in like the Snapchat creator program, the TikTok creators fund. And then now a new outlet, just in case you were hungry for a new space to be speaking. Uh, Twitter announced that they're going to be launching a... Twitter, Spark, Twitter Spaces Sparks program, which is a three-month accelerator program for Twitter Spaces creators, whomever they are. 
the idea of this uh, accelerator program is very similar, very similar to what Clubhouse launched uh, earlier in the year. The program was designed to discover and reward around a little bit under 200 spaces creators, uh, providing them with tech, finance, and marketing support. And with that, you will get this stipend of $2,500 a month, $500 a monthly ad credits in order to uh, promote your spaces on Twitter. You also get access to you know, new features and support from you know, Twitter's official social media handles in order to really get your spaces um, you know, up and running and, and really popularized. As with all the other creator funds, you know, they kind of have the desire that this is something that will be taken on by people that already have a platform. So you have to have you know, 5,000 or more active Twitter followers. Uh, you also need to commit to hosting a minimum of two spaces per week through the three-month period. So that's going to see a lot of activity as far as, you know, the, the, as far as spaces, the spaces space is concerned. And, uh, you know, uh, ideally I think what all these creator programs, all these accelerator funds, the purposes of them is to start showing that this is a real and viable, uh, portion of the way that the app works. I think what's really interesting is, you know, we've seen, I would say Twitter is probably the best at the um, move fast and break things and then say oops and try to glue the base back together uh, where they roll out a new feature and then realize that maybe no one likes it or it wasn't what it needed to be. And then they're like, ah, psych. Uh, But they're really dedicated, it seems, to spaces. You know, it's now a part of the navigation bar. It's something that they're investing a lot of money into. And so, you know, this is just kind of another showcase of their doubling down on this becoming a real aspect of the platform. Um, one thing that is interesting, though, the fact that it's so close to when Clubhouse um, also created that is that Clubhouse created a lot of promises about access to advertisers and sponsors for those who participated in their accelerator program. And not a lot of people saw that payout or that, that uh, fallout from it and felt a little bit uh, jilted from the relationship. So I think Twitter has the benefit of kind of seeing that example and saying, we're not talking about the future. Here's some money now. Please go on Spaces, and we'll see you in the morning. Interesting, Tommy. Do you do you know anybody that uses Spaces regularly? I don't. And as someone who is um, capital V capital O very online, especially on Twitter, I have not seen Spaces used in the real world yet. Like I saw people use Fleets all the time, both as you know, like a meme or just as like a fun way to post differently. And I still kind of miss Fleets. They were. I love how Twitter is move fast and break things and say, oops, Jules, that you put so eloquently. It's just like, it keeps things fun. It keeps things festive and fresh. And I, but I, I'm worried that this is sort of not a passing fact. Clubhouse does have staying power and all these tech platforms are really pushing money and, you know, power behind these sort of audio spaces. But I don't know if Twitter is the correct space for people to you know, sort of seek this thing out. I feel it's mostly as, you know, an app for copy and pictures and videos even. But I don't know. I really, like, I surprising. I've never seen anyone use spaces in, in the yeah. wilds, I should say. Yeah, I think it's, what I think is interesting is that Clubhouse's approach was get everybody to use it and then uh, create a, you know, an accelerator program, whereas spaces seems to be a little bit more exclusive. Amanda, I don't know, do you, do you agree with that approach? Yeah, that was kind of my concern, Joey, is that accelerator programs, we've been talking about them a lot, to Juliana's point, across every platform. And the ones that are successful are the ones that are truly accelerating the existing behavior, not trying to pay people to use a feature 
that they might not organically use. So like, for instance, we talked about Snapchat's, uh, like I think they would deem it slightly failed accelerator program from last year, from 2020, where it became essentially like paying creators to make things on the platform. And then you didn't have that organic growth and use case that you would have if they were, for instance, making something on TikTok, which they're already doing. So I do think, again, Twitter is not one to, you know, apologize for, for experimenting. I think they're pushing some focus on this space, which is interesting. But I am curious to see if this will actually turn into paying creators to use a space that they wouldn't normally use. And does that eventually feel ingenuine or inauthentic to how people use the platform? Yeah. It's almost like Clubhouse was trying to get more speakers and Spaces is trying to get more listeners. Interesting approach. Um, All right, Tommy, let's jump over to Instagram and the collabs feature. Talk to us about it. Yeah, so Instagram has announced what I think is an exciting new feature, Collabs, which lets basically two users share ownership of a single feed post or reel. The new Collabs feature allows two accounts to basically co-author a post or a reel. The post or reel will appear jointly to each user's followers and will share the same comment thread, views, and likes, which is means that basically it's just the same post appearing in two different feeds, two different accounts. They're enabled from the tacking screen after which the second account will actually have to accept the invite. You know, collabs famously are a two-way street. It is interesting, though. Instagram themselves have pointed out that this is not a way to co-create content, but rather a way to co-author a post or reel, which does make sense. The post will be coming from a single creator, and the other creator is then tagged as a collaborator after the fact. So this isn't really an immediate opportunity for co-creation, but it is a way to help maximize reach and find new new audiences through interesting collabs. And I'm interested to see how this feature will be applicable for brands. Certainly the audience reach element will be useful, but the app already has collaboration tools in place for these types of partnerships. And the FTC actually recently cracked down on undeclared brand endorsements. I could see them perceiving a collaboration as an undeclared brand endorsement. So I think this is great for reach and how it will have a really notable impact for influencers use the app and collaborate with brands. It's a lot cleaner also just to have the with blank under, like I saw like a celebrity with ESPN already this morning as it's being rolled out. But I wonder actually how brands be able to use this in a way that is conducive to actually, you know, running ads and campaigns that are legal, but also in a way that, you know, reaches the best audience, reaches the widest audience and takes advantage of all that this new feature has to offer. Juliana, what's your dream uh, collab partnership brand endorsement? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Right now I'm really into that like soda replacement Olipop that has a bunch of weird flavors you can find in your local bodega. Please sponsor me because Jiminy Christmas, if I have one more glass of unflavored water, I'm going to lose it. And I recognize that the, the the collaboration is really the focus of this piece. But one thing I do think it's a very exciting little nugget within this story is the fact that you can start posting from desktop to Instagram. That is very important to me. And I think it's very important for brands. Basically, any individual who has been trying to find a way to get the purity of the content that they're creating and editing online to then transfer over when they, at least in my case, 
send it to yourself via email and then download it to your cell phone and learn that the colors don't translate. And I also think with respect to Instagram's desire to have its video functionality be a lot more at the forefront by allowing people to move from iMovie to Instagram versus iMovie to intermediary to Instagram, it's just another way to make this a lot more of like a seamless effort and allow people to create a lot more interesting content that they don't have to say, create via TikTok first, then download their TikTok and then move it to Instagram Reels. It's just a great idea. I, I realize that everyone still yearns, as I do as well, for um, a chronological feed, but this is as close to Christmas as Instagram is going to give us. And I'm wearing a hat. Excited for it. <laughs> Amanda, what do you think? I think it's really smart. And this is actually Instagram is, I feel like, and I could be wrong, one of the last platforms to not have a very organic way that you can basically see your network's posts in your normal feed. So when I'm scrolling through Twitter, if someone likes something, it obviously shows up in my feed. If I'm on Instagram and someone tags or likes something, it shows up in my feed. So this is a discovery tool, to Tommy's point, that will really, really maximize reach in a way that feels actually organic versus something built and algorithmed out by the platform itself, which we know that people are not interested in. Um, it's, it's actually a very smart move. And I think that we'll see it used a lot. It will create a lot of growth and reach for um, posts and brands and, and influencers. So very. And to that as well, so sorry to cut you off. I'm just like, I'm, I'm jazzed as I'll get out on this story. One thing that will be really great for as well, when you think about the difficulty for individuals who are like photographers to get their posts uh, that they do for celebrities or influencers to be able to kind of see that come back to them, uh, you know, whether the, their tag is left off uh, in the, the post copy or, you know, they're kind of just sort of left off in some way that they don't really get credit for it by allowing this joint ownership. I think it will be great for the exposure of individuals who are usually more like back end creators that aren't given or kind of have to wait on like goodwill to be able to, to reap the rewards of their work. I think also we mentioned Twitter is a space where you break things and apologize later. Instagram is the space, it seems, that you could say liberally borrows from TikTok. You could say other things. But this to me, I saw that and I was like, oh, this is Instagram's version of duets. And duets are a major way of partnerships and reaching new audiences organically. And I think it's something Instagram, you mentioned earlier, both of you, has sort of struggled with in a way that feels, you know, actually organic and real and not artificial. So I'm excited for, like you said, like photographers getting into the mold um, for interesting and exciting collaborations to bring new people to the forefront and also allow for maybe, you know, undiscovered talent to see the spotlight. Yeah. Good on Instagram on this one. Um, all right, Juliana, let's jump uh, over to Clubhouse. We talked a little bit about them before, um, but they launched a new music mode. So give us the give us the dirt on this one. Yeah, for all you you club heads out there, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the fan club is, but you guys let me know. Uh, clubbies, whatever have you. Recently, Clubhouse uh, announced that they're launching a new music mode. Uh, it's interesting because this is in a moment where there's a lot of competition around this, this space, but effectively how music mode works is that if you are a musician or you're just someone who joins clubhouse to listen to live music, uh, when individuals are performing, the music mode allows you to optimize clubhouse to have broadcasted music be with higher quality and greater stereo sound. 
So effectively, it's taking what could be, you know, kind of crackly, very clearly playing from a cell phone into your your speaker's audio and turns it into just something a lot richer, a lot more kind of experiential, uh, especially if you're an individual who is trying to, you know, from the position of being a musician, if you're trying to give a sample of your new song or trying to get out there, you happen to have the floor. You obviously want it to be in the crispest, cleanest audio possible. And also if you're an audiophile, part of the experience ideally would be hearing the song uh, in its most pure, in its purest integrity. So this is just a very interesting um, idea for Clubhouse. And I think it is reflective of their recognition of who their audience is and the fact that Perhaps, you know, not the biggest social media network in the world right now, but uh, those that are a fan of it and those spaces that are for very like niche interests, you know, you want to make sure that you can maximize their ability to be involved, you know, versus, say, trying to just reach out and grab a bunch of other things under their wing. So I do have to give Clubhouse credit for trying to make a better experience what they currently have uh, versus, you know, I think what we've seen in other apps, just try to put everything in the kitchen sink underneath them. Uh, what is interesting as well, though, is that there's a lot of big companies that are also trying to get this live audio and specifically live music um, as part of their their uh, repertoire. So, you know, Amazon is also trying to get a sort of live music space uh, online, uh, you know, outlet for, for individuals. You know, one thing as well with, you know, Twitter spaces that they have ticketed spaces. So presumably for musicians or creators who are trying to premiere something, they can kind of have these, uh, they can kind of have these um, shows that people can attend and you know, Spotify, Spotify as well has its own live audio app and it's presumably and you know, marketed towards people who are very passionate about music to be able to coexist and share. So very exciting, um, at least for those who are clubhouse Whomever you are, have a great one. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Tommy, I'm curious what you think about this. Um, should, now, Spotify doesn't have a lot to be worried about these days, but uh, is this is this a feature they should be worried about or is this a feature that they're actually excited about? Yeah, I think Spotify might be sitting pretty, um, all things considered. But I don't think they have things to worry about. It's a different environment. I feel like Clubhouse's clientele is so specific. It feels like maybe from my perception to someone who's younger and not as involved in the space as others, but it feels a little bit more millennial, a little bit more professional, that sort of thing. Like it started originally as a place for people to maybe not originally, but it became a place for people to discuss network, hear from speakers while Spotify really is just music, audio. They are also are experimenting with live features of their own, I think. Um, and, they're putting money heavily into the podcast space. Remember they paid the Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama hundred million or something ridiculous for their own, a podcast about, you know, America, all things America. So I don't think Spotify should be particularly concerned, but I think it is exciting for clubhouse to really like, they know what they are and they're trying to make it as best they can be. And I think other apps should take note of what their skill sets are and invest in that as opposed to, we're not seeing Clubhouse add visuals. That would be just incongruent with what the identity of the platform is. So I think this is totally in line with what they've been doing and what they will continue to do in the future. Amanda, you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, and I, I actually think this is interesting as a, not an avid Clubhouse user. And I think, Juliana, you have a you actually make a good point. Like, 
it's not the largest social platform. It does not have the most members, but it does have the freedom of being new and independently owned. So it can add features, it can experiment, it can take things away. And I think that those kinds of platforms, like similarly to something like a Vine, while it seems like perhaps they're not changing the tide right away, there are things I, I'm sure that the Facebooks and the Twitters and everything else are, are watching this experiment and understanding a little bit about use case behavior. And I think, Joey, to your point, it's not as much about, to, to me, this could be my questioning. Um, I think it's actually more of a threat to places like um, Roblox or Fortnite, where they're having these large listening parties that are creating a different kind of shared audio experience together that's live. If the four of us want to listen to a new album or hear an artist perform, like that platform doesn't really exist in its true audio form yet. So when I think about like something like a shared live experience, that's where I can see this becoming a new use case that perhaps Clubhouse will perfect it and become the single arbiter of how this is experienced. Or perhaps other platforms will, you know, do as they've done with Clubhouse in the past and take that behavior and create that experience somewhere else. But I think too, it's like these little mini experiments that are happening on Clubhouse or are the vines of the world or whatever random little app that, you know, isn't, doesn't have a lot of users, but does get the license to experiment a little more is very important to pay attention to. It's honestly a really solid point because I think one thing that Clubhouse has to its advantage, it's a very almost seemingly like strangely flat way of operating. Like it's almost so simple. It's crazy. You know, you just hop into a room and then here's the speaker and the speaker lets you talk. But because of that, it's a lot more straightforward. If you did want to do a listening party, like you're saying, Amanda, then having to learn Roblox, which I'm pretty loose on how to even spell it, let alone how to operate within the space. So yeah, they do definitely have that benefit of being kind of a blank slate that they can just put things against and allow people to experience, you know, things that they perhaps couldn't because of other apps convolutions. Well, that is the perfect segue, Juliana. Thank you so much. Um, Amanda, talk to us about Roblox um, and how they're growing up. They grow up so fast. Uh, talk to us. Okay. So that tells me I should explain a little bit about what Roblox is. If you're not familiar, Roblox is an app that essentially, it looks a little bit like an app store, honestly. It has a bunch of games when you go on and you can choose to have an adventure game or a racing game or a climbing game, whatever tickles your fancy. And it's essentially a platform for games. What makes it really interesting is that anyone can also create their own game. So they have creator tools that are kind of like templates, essentially, where anyone of any age can come in and create their own game, put it onto the, the platform and have other people play it. So it's a very interactive marketplace of games. It's gotten a lot of traction and use for kids and teens, especially 9 to 12. Um, and what's really interesting is this month that they've actually announced that more than half of its users are older than 13. So that's a big deal, especially for a game and a game app on a phone that's known for its 9 to 12 year old user base. And I think as we continue to take a look at how Roblox is applying its technology, we'll talk about the metaverse and things in a minute, but there's different ways that when you have this interactive experience, especially in mixed age demographics, you know, over 13 and under 13, we've seen um, platforms not handle it perfectly well, and that's okay. 
Um, but the, you know, the team that's leading Roblox is very, very, um, outspoken about how committed they are to creating a space that allows one older audiences to come into the platform. So they have recently announced some, uh, tools that are kind of, you know, used to attract older audiences, things like more lifelike avatars, the ability to restrict games by age a voice chatting feature for those who are over 13, um, and then also more strict guidelines around how they prove the age. So right now, uh, Roblox is actually a pretty strict policy that they have, but to you know prove your age, you have to show a government ID and send basically a selfie to the platform to confirm that you're over 13. And we know that a lot of social platforms don't have that kind of uh, guardrail and regulation in place. So even something like that to prove, um, you know, if someone is legally of age to either play a game or have a conversation is a really big deal. Um, So as they age up and they're starting to obviously attract older audiences, again, leading the charge on having community standards that feel in line with (laughs) the good of society. Again, timeliness on this after the whistleblower um, testimony last week or the week before is, is really important. And it, it shows that they're actually taking it very seriously. Um, and I, Roblox is a place that feels like it's been on a growth track for a year or two years now, um, more, but more in the limelight in the last year. Is I think we're going to see some new, some new uses here. It's exciting. We're getting to a metaverse, guys. Sorry, I realized that Joe is the person who asks a lot of questions, but just in general, because this was a good kind of breakdown for me as someone who's not familiar and hopefully anyone who's listening who also isn't super familiar with Roblox. Uh, but just kind of curious if you see the platform being something that you think will continue to grow as like kind of part of the larger zeitgeist <laughs> or if it's something that you think is still going to remain more of like a niche for younger like teen well, I think it's both. And I think that the younger teen audiences are eventually going to be 17 and they're eventually going to be 21. I know it's Jesus. crazy. They just, they grow, they keep growing up. Um, and I think to that point, Juliana, like, I don't think it'll be, you know, as of next year, you know, your millennials are on Roblox. Like, I don't think it'll be that quick of a, a shift up. But then you think about things like Facebook, which I think Facebook is 20 years old. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. But like we started in Facebook and it was we as in the general millennial age demographic. Um, And it created this very like, I don't want to say trusted because that's not where it is now because of decisions they've made from a business perspective, but it becomes a very familiar place. And the interactions that we have on Facebook are how we know how to use the internet and how we leverage social media. And I think the decisions that Roblox will make over the next five, 10 years um, are going to shape and be shaped by the way that Gen Z uses the internet. As the five things resident uh, Gen Z, hi, how are you? Um, I think Roblox is a really fascinating case study for how to cultivate and protect a young audience. I mean, we're seeing a lot of companies feel the pressure of not having Gen Z. I mean, their recent reports actually leaked by Instagram or leaked from Instagram. I think The Verge has them about how the company is concerned on not having young users as the rate that TikTok does. Facebook famously again called playdates, potential growth drivers. My skin is crawling thinking about it again. But Gen Z, we're growing up. It is going to happen. We're all the theme of this episode, I guess, or maybe this this one titular fifth thing is growth and people getting older. And as Roblox kids become 
Roblox adults, that familiarity you mentioned, it sticks with you and it's the way how you use the internet. So I think just as, as Roblox protects and cultivates this audience that is really ride or die for Roblox, it's very popular with young kids. I mean, it's massive. It's almost like a sort of, not like certainly not like a Minecraft level, but it's the closest thing to a Minecraft that the metaverse does. So as kids, as Roblox is baby's first metaverse, this will be a really big shakeup for social platforms and the way we connect online. And I think that it's something that it's, it's a bit silly that Roblox may be, you know, a really big player in the future of web three and the metaverse, but we really should keep our eyes on it. I think it's both a case study and a really big future player in this space. Yeah, absolutely. It's what, what I find uh, interesting about this is how Roblox is building trust and how important it is to build trust over time for a brand. I mean, just for all the reasons that you said, Amanda, about how we interact with Facebook, it's interesting um, seeing it now with a younger generation. Great. So I think that does it for the week, friends. That was our party pod. Um, to the listener, if you don't already, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, literally wherever you get a podcast, you know how to find us. Um, you can also send your questions, comments, concerns, your points of interest, your complaints, uh, or your questions about being a Gen Z uh, to Tommy at podcast at gray.com. I want to thank Amanda, Juliana, and Tommy for joining us. Uh, thanks to Danielle and Guy behind the scenes. Quick program note, next week we will be off. Uh, there will be no podcast. There will be a newsletter, but no podcast. Uh, hopefully nothing spooky happens. Uh, maybe Facebook will have a new name. Who knows? But uh, we will see you in two weeks. And just remember to be social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.